If you are looking to continue developing your coaching skills or have a new coach that you'd like to train or onboard, check out our upcoming activity coaching clinics. We are hosting both our basics and advanced clinics every Monday for our basics clinic and Tuesday for our advanced clinic from 1.30 to 3 Central Standard Time. It runs October 2nd through November 6th, and you can learn more and register at heatherpriceconsulting.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Activity Coaching Conversations with Heather and Sabina, where we discuss coaching strategies for the overachievers, the slow starters, and everyone in between. We're going to share everything we know about instilling early success habits, the science behind activity, and how to build a values-based, FR-centered coaching philosophy. Activity Coaching Conversations is all about balancing accountability with the art and science of coaching. Welcome, everybody. We're so excited today to have the sea captain himself at the helm of our show. See what I did there? In case you don't know who I'm talking about, <laughs> it's Phil Bender, Woo-hoo! who many of you who many of you up, already <laughs> who many of you already know. And but for those of you who don't, let me give you just a little idea of how awesome he is. I could probably spend an entire episode just introducing him, but here are the highlights. Phil has more than 30 years of experience in financial services. And do you know, as I say that, what I've realized, Phil, as I was putting this together is I have known you for over half my life, which is just yeah. frightening. It's just frightening. But yes, it's it's Frightening it's is how old you are? Or <laughs> yeah, well, that, both. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, in 2018, expect a lot of this today. In 2018, <laughs> he began Sea Captain Coaching. And as of today, he has more than 250 clients who have all seen exponential growth during their time with his practice. Prior to founding Sea Captain Coaching, Phil was a managing partner for 16 years, a recognized sales leader and speaker who has served at nearly every level of service for advisors and clients. He's a lifetime member of the Million Dollar Roundtable. He started a scratch district that grew to 30 advisors in six years, and he has his CLU degree. He also has a BS from University of Missouri-Columbia. He and his wife, Lisa, split their time between Sarasota, Florida and Middletown, Rhode Island. They have three adult sons. And when Phil isn't coaching, he loves to travel, write, sing and golf, among many other things. So welcome, Phil. We are delighted to have you here with us today. Yeah, and so uh, shameless plug right out of the gate. The only thing to add to that is Sea Captain Way, Book. the financial well, advisors was... just got published. Were you going to yes, go there? Yes, it did. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but now I don't have to. We were going to plug it for <laughs> you. But... you don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know. I'd rather, I, I'm pretty self-absorbed as a rule, so it's you'll, you should get used to that as we go through this. The, no, thank you. Thank you, Sabina. Thank you, Heather. It's great to be you. This is our home and home podcast series, right? Uh, That's right. You guys, you guys were on recently with us. And yep, so it's just, yep. it's very exciting. Let's have some fun. Absolutely. Yes. At the end of our podcast, we will again tell you how to get a hold of Phil, how to get a hold of the book, The Sea Captain Way, and so forth. And he, I'm going to ask you questions right out 
of it. So, so don't get too, cool. you know, yeah. Ooh, but let's, <laughs> let, most of our audience are either activity coaches, leaders who are looking to improve their new rep productivity right out of the gate. So the first question we have for you is what should activity coaches focus on as their coaching advisors in the first six months and the first 12 months? Like where do you, what's a good foundational piece? Well, if the easy answer is do it as everyone has done it before you. Okay. So in other mm-hmm. words, those that have succeeded for you, that is your that is your message. And you probably shouldn't even lift your head up for the first 90 days if six months, right? But if I'm going to maybe change it a little bit here, just for uh, understanding, it's what is the provision? What are the important elements of why are you doing this? What do you see it how do you see it playing out? And it all starts with core values. So the question I always ask, you know, if your firstborn child ever came to you and said, mom, dad, I want to be a success in my life. What are the three things you tell them? Now, the answer to that question is their core values. And, and probably one of them should be work ethic. So if those three then applied can always come back because those are foundational pieces for activity. Mm-hmm. I'm doing, I'm, I take personal responsibility for things. I'm growth minded. I'm act. I want to be active, those types of things. So that would be what I, I'd share. So follow up for you, Phil, you mentioned work ethic, and that is something in the coaching that I do that is impossible to create in other people, right? Either they have it or they don't. And it really, I think, comes down to selection. From your experience in many years as a managing director and as a managing partner, how would you test for that? What are you looking for? How would you see if the candidates that you are selecting have that work ethic that is so necessary to be successful in this career? Well, again, assuming they answer the question and work ethic is one of the responses, drive, work ethic, somewhere around there when I'm asking that question about core values, then the next piece would be where where has it applied? Where have you applied it? What has happened in your life where you felt you were at peak performance, okay, where everything went your way? What were some of the common characteristics of that had you operated peak? How long did it continue? Why did it continue? Why did it end? And so really a focus on what does peak performance look like for you? Now, if they answer that question, most people, when they answer it, by the way, go back to like high school or they go back to something they did where they were in athletic competition. Most people will go back there. And so my next follow-up response would be, why why not recently? What's been mm. in the way recently that that made it so that you you went back that far? And a lot of people say, well, because I... I have had kids or I hit that goal and moved on. I graduated from college. Okay. So what is that, what is that background where they had performance that operated at a level that we know is necessary for success? Okay. So the other thing we know is prospecting is fundamental to success. And it is one of the things that, you know, when I was doing early coaching, Heather, probably when you were doing it and every coach we've ever had come through our clinics, you know, coaching, the number one area of struggle is almost always prospecting. So do you have some strategies that activity coaches can employ to help reps develop that discipline of prospecting? And and I'll ask my follow-up question now because I'm old and I'll forget otherwise. How does prospecting evolve over the years, like prospecting when you're in your first year is a little different than prospecting when you're in your 10th year. Yeah. And, and that's really what I teach because 
when we talk about beginning activity, my sea captain really lives in that stage past that initial phase of startup, right? Mm-hmm. That's when we really get involved. So to answer that question about the third year, fifth year, 10th year is very easy, easy to walk through because I live there almost all the time. And mm-hmm. so in the beginning, it's all about discipline and process. Am I prepared to make an ask? Mm-hmm. Okay. Versus am I winging it? You know, we, we do all this work to prepare ourselves for selling. You know, we role play, we, even on the phone, we role play, we go through that step-by-step process. Maybe somebody watches us, we do joint work. And then when it comes to actually doing the active prospecting, we just decide to wing it. We just let everything kind of fly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and so who do you know would be the most common, be the most common default question. And that's a fair question especially mm-hmm. when you get to the end, but you don't lead with it, okay? So how have right. you prepared? There are so many opportunities now to prepare, whether it be using everything from social media to LinkedIn to lead list. There's, there's so many different opportunities to prepare, but the process has to be done consistently and it has to be a part of an agenda for a meeting. I'm mm-hmm. a big proponent of you must use an agenda for every meeting. There, I could go into great detail here, but in particular in prospecting, so that the client knows and I know that at some point this is going to happen. I want people to know that right away. Now, what evolves over time after you you get the quantity you need, which is the first step, is then you can start to decide, okay, who gets the Sabina Robinson experience Mm -hmm. and who doesn't? And therefore, you can do a good deal more preparation, a good deal more time spent in uh, relationship building, be more targeted. Okay. And then ultimately, I always use this. I use this phrase with my career advisors, which is what are three things you like about working with me Mm -hmm. and our team so far? When they give you those three positive statements or comments, Mm -hmm. then you transfer those comments into your ask for introductions. And we can go into more detail later if you'd like. Sure. Okay. That's great. Heather, any follow-up to that? Yeah. I'm wondering, we had talked a little bit about prospecting early on and then prospecting later on. Are you? Is your suggestion to ask what are three things you like about working with me or with my team at the beginning or waiting until they're a little more experienced or both? Well, I think it can work at the beginning, but after the relationship's been established. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not going to, you know, it might be that they become a client of mine. So that might be a little bit more. So I, I, I'm a big believer that you just always need to replicate your top 20 clients each year with mm-hmm. anywhere, well, another, ideally another 20 clients, which would suggest you, you have to have at least 50 introductions especially once you've established yourself. Now we're not thinking first year here, right? Uh, once you've established yourself, if I can take, if I can take 50 referrals and make them into 20 new households or clients, that's pretty powerful when I'm replicating the best people I, I have mm-hmm. in my client base. So those relationships are paramount. Now in the beginning, I don't have that luxury. So I should be asking, what do you think about the process so far? Mm-hmm. That's always good because it's a natural lead-in into saying, I just want to simply replicate that process with more people. Perfect. So I'm going to switch gears for a minute and ask you about your early years. You know, I know many, many moons ago when you were brand new in the business, what did you focus on in the early years and what motivated you to do? Because you were a a good performer in your early years. I mean, you were top of the 
top of the heap there. Well, thanks. I, in fact, I was rookie of the year one year when I, I was, you know, uh, I heard a rumor to that I effect. I don't, agency. I'm not entirely sure that's true. Yeah. You, it's a painful, <laughs> it's a painful story that we are not may, going down that me, rabbit hole today. <laughs> it, it will take you know, me a we couple don't have time for your, you know, therapeutic, you know, cathartic experience, it, Phil, just move it, on. It, it would take me six, six beers to get through. It's so painful, but <laughs> The, uh, nonetheless, yes, I did. When I got involved with the firm that I started, I was, I just absolutely, for the one time in my life, I did everything I was told. <laughs> I didn't do it before that day. Mm-hmm. I didn't do it after that day. But for a full year, I did everything I was told. And what happened was, lo and behold, it took a pretty talented person and gave him some discipline and structure. Mm-hmm. And so when it worked, it worked, but there were some intangible pieces there. I had a great manager, mm-hmm. okay, a great mentor. My wife's uncle brought me in the business and I just did not want to let him down. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I just said, okay, I've got to be vulnerable enough to do it exactly this way, not cut a corner, which I was notorious for, especially through college. <laughs> and I just knew I had to, to pay attention to that. And then in doing so, interestingly enough, the first month, we were supposed to do 25 fact finders. Mm-hmm. I did 44 <laughs> fact finders. Why? Because I was scared to death. And I said, why not try to double this up? When I became a managing director, I recruited twice as many as I was supposed to. Why? Because I was scared to death. And why not see what happens if you double it up? Mm-hmm. So what I always did was take fear and make it a motivator and enhance performance based upon the fact that I I just did not want to fail at whatever I took on. Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. I tell activity coaches all the time, find out what people really want to do. Like, And I said, don't discount if somebody wants to prove someone wrong, right? I said, don't discount that. Yeah. It might not sound like the most noble motive, but if that is what is driving people through those early stages, let it be what it is. So, Can I add one thing mm-hmm. anecdotally here? When, when I was going through my program, we used to have little morning meetings Mm -hmm. and I hated them. I'm very entrepreneurial. I don't like to go through that. And heaven forbid, somebody tells me what I'm supposed to be doing. And I end up, I said, how do I get out of this meeting? And one of my mentors said to me, the road to getting out of the meeting is 30 ahead. Mm -hmm. I never forgot that. If you're that independent and you have to have a workaround, make it a workaround based upon performance. Mm -hmm. And so there is a reason, like you said, Sabina, where sometimes it's okay to take an independent SOB like I was and Mm -hmm. and pull a workaround. Mm -hmm. If you are looking to continue developing your coaching skills or have a new coach that you'd like to train or onboard, check out our upcoming activity coaching clinics. We are hosting both our basics and advanced clinics every Monday for our basics clinic and Tuesday for our advanced clinic from 1.30 to 3 Central Standard Time. It runs October 2nd through November 6th, and you can learn more and register at heatherpriceconsulting.com. Phil, you sound like a dream to coach somebody who just listened, right? I mean, you said you did as you were told and you didn't cut corners. Interestingly, though, like you said, you don't normally do that. So you've coached hundreds of people in your experience. So I'm curious, what do you do? Like, what are your tactics when you have that person that like, they will even admit they're not coachable, right? They just, they want to cut corners. They don't want to do it the recommended way. And they just fight the system the whole way. 
How would you handle that? That's a really big question though, too. There's a lot of things. It is. It is. And there's two answers to that for me. One is how I would have done it then. And now based on very high levels of awareness, how I would do it now. Okay. So first of all, how I would do it then was, look, there's a program that's proven. You've got all these people around you have have followed this process. Don't reinvent it. It's too painful and it's too risky. Okay. So that would have been how I handled it back then and probably lost a few people in that process, but also gained a culture of activity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what I know now is a little different. Now I know that I coach to this and that is how do you do your wind sprints when you were playing a sport? Did you do them without anybody around? You just did them. Did you do them because the coach made you the leader or did you do them because the team was counting on you? And so whatever answer they give me is what I know a little bit about them. Are they disciplined? Mm-hmm. Means they did the wind sprints by themselves. Are they are they responsible? Which means they did it because the coach made them the captain. That's by the way, that's where the sea captain lives and mm-hmm. lived. And then the last one is accountability, which is based on the team holding you to a standard. So those two things were very important. The last question was how'd you do your term paper in college? <laughs> Okay. Did you, like Sabina Robinson, plan it out for a month and do a little bit every single day? Never. Okay. Never. Or did you do it the night before? Or or did you, like Heather, do it the night before? I think I probably got that reversed. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Okay. So Heather, Heather is very procedural, which means she was the one who planned it out. Everything had to be just so. She couldn't sleep at night if she didn't get her all the checks on the boxes, get them all done. Sabina, more optional, is more, you know, procrastinate, but then be dynamic when it's yep. when it's time. And so do I know who I'm coaching? Because if I'm coaching somebody procedural, they don't need help following the system. They need more help taking some risks and getting their mm-hmm. boat up on plane. And feeling like they're not scared to death every day. Optional people make up little stories in their mind. They're always the fun people at Client Builders because they always, whenever they don't do something, they have a great story to tell about why it didn't happen. And everybody rolls their eyes. Heather's rolled her eyes probably many times. (laughs) And so when you're dealing with optional people, they have to have a structure. That's why the Granum model is so important here because even now, today, it's not as relevant after three or four years as it used to be. It's still the best startup going. Mm-hmm. It's still the absolute best way to start your practice. And people who trust it perform and they get the result, right? But right. what happens with optional people like Sabina, like me, is after that ends, after they see the Granum system is not as important, they tend to fall off because they think they can shortcut and so procedural people never stop. They just keep mm-hmm. going. And and I think in this kind of business, procedural people tend to have an advantage in that regard. Because, it, yeah. 100%. Problem is most males are optional <laughs> and females tend to be more procedural. And so you want a testimony for females in the financial services industry. That's the, there's your testimonial based on wiring. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing though. Procedural people have trouble taking risks. Mm-hmm. They get scared when they have to take a big risk. Okay. That's so good. I love yeah, this. Yeah, this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I now want to go directly into the book 
in chapter mm-hmm. two of the Sea Captain Way, you talk about the four phases of growth for an advisory practice. Can you elaborate on those? Yeah. Well, first, I've alluded to it a little bit. There's a startup phase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then you're moving into the growth phase. And then you're moving sustainable growth from there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you go into finally uh, legacy or mm-hmm. succession plan type phase. Okay. And so it's just the startup phase is, again, where this podcast lives. And that's a part of the process where I, I need to do what I'm told. I need to have a mentor. Mm-hmm. I need to have somebody's walking with me through it. I need to trust people mm-hmm. that they're going to guide me. It's like climbing Mount Everest. You don't do it without a Sherpa and yeah, a guide. Right. Yeah. Okay. Come on, let's be real about it. And so that first phase is important. That's That second phase, though, is about growth where I really think I've made it. And most have after five years. Mm-hmm. But in reality, I still have to make strategic investments. I have mm-hmm. to build a team around me or I have to join something. I've decided, am I going to partner? Mm-hmm. Am I going to go at it alone? Meaning I'm going to be my own CEO. And so those are just steps. And generally it goes first five years, then it goes five to 15. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then it goes to from 15 on. And then obviously the legacy phase is about how do I transition? Now, historically yep. insurance practices would, the transitions would not be well thought out. Nowadays, because of you know insurance and investments being done together, you have much more to sell. You have much more to work through in this process. In the book, I'm going to quote from you now. Some of the key variables that I think we talk about constantly are execution of a proven business training model, activity mastery, sales competence, quantity over quality, and client development numbers. Can you just elaborate a little bit on that? Because that is probably one of the top reasons that people cite for not prospecting is, oh, I don't want more people like this. I'm going to get into a better market and ergo, I need less names in my first six months. Yeah. Well, my flippant response would be, so what, what I hear you saying is that you know exactly who you want and you have a process that you're asking each and every time taking people through this process. And therefore, when they give you an introduction, you're then turning them down because they're not good enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Except except it skips the whole first part. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that they don't right. even ask. Right. Yeah. But because that's really where it where it ends up. It, mm-hmm. it is about the asking. And am I taking people through the process every step? Is it the most important thing? Okay. Mm-hmm. I can sell somebody something or not. I used to tell people, you can buy from me or not. It's okay. I'm gonna do my best to have you become a client. You then have a decision to make on that. But if I bring value to you and you share that value to me that I brought then mm-hmm. I believe I deserve to be introduced to someone new yep. to see if I can bring value to them. And that's, people are so fearful to ask that. And I think because they just either did a fact finder or somebody said yes to them, you know, in the closing process. And now they're like, I don't want to rock the boat. I want to just live in this comfortable little pool where everybody's happy. There's bigger problems than that. They learn in training how to do it. And mm-hmm. then they go and do joint work and learn how not to do it. Yes. Oh my gosh. All the time. <laughs> so one of the biggest issues is career advisors getting in the way and basically unwinding the training that was done. Mm-hmm. And I love them, but boy, mm-hmm. they can really become a hindrance here because of their messaging. Like a parent that says, you know, you don't have to study like I did to get through school. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, who would do who would do that? Okay. What and so here's what the career advisor says. You don't need to go through this whole uh, process, especially not yet. Don't do it yeah. yet. It's gonna yeah. wreck what we're doing. I never ask in the first meeting anymore, you know. That's right. And, yeah. That's right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we we talk about that a lot. Now you have also created again. I'm going to go. I'm going to dive into the book here because it's got such great yep. stuff in it. The quadrants, like when people hear quadrants, but yours are a little bit different. Is that something you would like to talk about to elaborate on a little bit? You talking about the growth quadrants, about yep. high yep. performance, the, the monetary success, visionary success, reactive. Yeah, that, yep, that one. Yeah, and and that's a probably where the book most lives because mm-hmm. those quadrants are really relevant after the third year in the business, certainly after the fifth, mm-hmm. okay, where now you've been operating within an activity model. You didn't ask why, you just did it. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden now you're like, okay, the world is going to open up for me. Everything here is going to be my oyster. Well, you start to realize in the fifth year that although your retention rate is high, mm-hmm. you are still you still have to grow. And the area to grow is to go from monetary success, okay, mm-hmm. which is being high performing but reactive mm-hmm. in how you operate. In other words, you're still day to day. You're still month to month. Heaven forbid I go on a vacation and I can't check email right. every day. It's you all going to fall apart. Of, yeah. Oh, everything's going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. The second part of this then is how do we shift over to high performing but proactive where we start to think quarterly, think 12 week year, mm-hmm. okay, as an example. So how do we think quarterly? How do we plan out our year? This is where we work in C-Capt, and this is where we really do the great work, and we 2x revenue with people when they mm-hmm. follow it. Mm-hmm. So it's a whole new Granum perspective. For example, how are you introducing? I've actually worked in the last eight years on how to build out an investment model for Granum. Mm-hmm. Okay, We have now a activity model for fee-based planning. Mm. I mean, these are things that have not been addressed in full planning elements, Mm -hmm. either whether you're in a wealth management firm or in an insurance-based firm, you have not worked through the integration of both of them. Some people Mm -hmm. just figure it out, Mm -hmm. but is there an actual model for it? I'd be hard pressed to find one. Mm -hmm. What I do is actually work on that model so that you can build out a blended practice. And that's the steps. So that's where this shift over to CEO from great salesperson happens. Mm -hmm. And I even use this phrase, which I think you'll like, is when I'm talking to someone and they go back into that sales model, Mm -hmm. I'm like, what's the CEO telling the salesperson this month about their activity? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then they start to say things like, well, you need to get moving or you Mm -hmm. need more fact finders. So they end up coming up with the answer, Mm -hmm. but it's the CEO telling the sales department, which happens to be the same person in some cases. Right. But they're telling them the story that they need to hear. Now, you alluded to the, you kind of touched on these three things earlier before I got to ask the question. But I think they're so important. I would like to just have you elaborate a little bit more on the discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Because those are three words that we talk about a lot early on. Because I think how you start says a lot. And so I know you gave the wind sprint example. But can you dive a little deeper into those three peak performance elements? Sure. Yeah, sure. This is actually the basis of of a TED talk that I'm doing is on peak Mm -hmm. performance. And this is one of the core covenants. So if I had to ask you and Heather, what what would be a discipline for you? What is something you do without thinking about it outside of hygiene, like brushing your teeth, which would be an example. Yeah, working out in the morning. Working out would be, okay, working out in the morning. Sabina, same with you? Yeah, same. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So my only discipline is I am always on time. Mm. In other words, I am always prepared and on time. Not even always prepared, but on time. This started when I was a kid and my dad, I was a catcher, forgive me for using this reference, but I, I was a catcher and we would go to practice and my dad was a coach and I would forget my cup. And so he'd be like, son, did you bring your cup today? I'd say no. And he would start yelling at me and he would yell at me all the way back home and then all the way to practice because, <laughs> because we were going to be what? Late. 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 And mm-hmm. so I still, to this day, operate that way. I get tremendous anxiety about being late for things. Mm-hmm. All right. And then being married to Lisa Bender, you have to understand that being late is just simply how the world works. <laughs> but that's a different conversation <laughs> for it, that's a different <laughs> conversation for our marriage counselor. Okay. So with that discipline, I have really worked at this. I have no other discipline other than that. None. So when you when you say that, I'm gonna probably change my answer then because I I now think I don't fall into discipline with working out. I fall under responsibility. Isn't that the one where you do it because the coach makes you? Yes. So yes. Resp- or, okay. or or accountability means I work out only with a trainer or with yes. a buddy. Yes. That's, That's accountability. Me. Okay. All right. Responsi- responsibility means that I know to, to be a the best dad or father I can be or the best mm-hmm. husband that I need to be around for the rest of my life, uh, you know, and be functional and healthy. So therefore I take responsibility for it, uh-huh. like being a provider. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so it's important to um, me at this stage at almost 60. Okay, 59. Might as well mm-hmm. be 60 at this point because everybody thinks I'm lying, but I am 59. <laughs> okay. But at if you 59 say so. now, yeah, at 59, I beat my, my uh, doctor said, are you prepared to take responsibility for this? Do you want to be mm-hmm. 60 and weigh 260 pounds, which is what I was at that visit? Mm-hmm. I've since lost almost 25 pounds based on Good that for you. because I decided to take responsibility mm-hmm. for myself. I don't need a trainer to watch me do it. The, the problems with accountability is nobody nobody's watching you. You don't do it. So the key to accountability is I have to either pay for it or I have to really respect the person mm-hmm. that I'm, that is going through it with me. And so most of my coaching is in the responsibility area, which means I set up a structure mm-hmm. where I have to perform. So in other words, I set up my calendar. I have to perform in it because people are counting on me. Mm-hmm. I always use this phrase that says, I call in sick for work every day, but nobody answers the phone. So I have to come in. <laughs> right? That's responsibility. Right. Okay. That's responsibility. So that's to give you some perspective. Well, that's good because now I think I have zero discipline about half responsibility. <laughs> I'm all in the accountability world. <laughs> So what I hear you saying is, and I always think of this as character too, I don't know what that says about me, but so what you're saying is discipline is what you do when no one is watching and no one is making you do it. That's right. No one, and no one really cares. It's a, yeah, it's a funny thing that it's just taken me a long time to get to that place because I always felt so bad about Mm -hmm. not having much discipline. And it really cost me when I, as I said, when I was in college, Mm -hmm. okay, but structure what I learned is that structure is the key. 
Mm-hmm. So setting up your day, your calendar, for example, optional people, Sabina, like you and I have to get all our chores done in the morning Yes, or they don't happen. That's exactly happen. right. Yeah. But the responsibility yeah. part of me feels bad if I, like, if I'm sitting around in the morning reading a book and I know the house needs to be cleaned, I can't do it. I can't relax until the work is done. Well, and that could be, you know, it could be a discipline is, is cleanliness. You may find mm-hmm. that that you do that without yeah. it. So but with Heather, Heather could work out any time of the day. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Okay. She may do it in the morning, but she could do it anytime. Whenever she has free moment and she takes a breath, she says, you know what? I'm going to go work out now. I have an hour between two and three. I'm going to get in a quick workout. That's totally. That's, I will, that's yeah. what proceeds. That's right. Yeah. Heather has way more discipline than me. In certain things, <laughs> and, and, not all and things. This is, yeah. for sure. But this is really important. And I'll add this mm-hmm. one part is with phoning. Optional mm-hmm. people have to get their phoning done in the morning. They have to study in the morning. They have to work mm-hmm. out in the morning. If they get past noon, they're in big trouble. They'll start mm-hmm. to say things like, you know what? I'll just do twice the dials tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is the kiss of death. Procedural oh people would never let that happen. Mm-hmm. They won't do it. They can't sleep. I try to be procedural. It just doesn't. It works for about five it's minutes. Then, <laughs> it's impossible. Then I'm I just have, like, mm. <laughs> Phil, is the whole idea then to identify, right, with the people that you are coaching, which one of these things they tend to be and to help, number one, make them self-aware of it and then set up a structure or a, a system or whatever it is that they need based on which one of these three components they fall into or one of these three categories? Oh, so good. That was the perfect question. And you, you phrased it with the answer attached, which is awesome because the answer is Yes. And so what I do when I work with somebody now is I find out how they're wired and then we make those three choices. They get to make three choices. You disciplined in this, responsible for it or accountable to it. And then what we do is we take every task goes through that filter. Mm -hmm. And then as it goes through the filter, they start to realize based on your comment, which is I become aware that I have this problem. I don't feel like crap anymore because I'm wired this way. I just have to deal with it. And then we set up structure for this to happen. So I'll give you a great example of structure for me. Okay. I know that I, with my team, okay, that I don't set my own calendar. My team member, Lori, I said, I haven't set a meeting in 10 years because my team member, Lori, who's been with me now 17, 18 years, she yells at me. She says, get out of my kitchen because <laughs> she knows I'm going to screw, I'm going to screw it up and I'm going to make her procedural life wrong. So what you want to do with procedural people is you want to, you want to find out when you hire, for example, you should hire detailed people for detailed jobs, right? So what I'm able to do is with Lori is to say things to her like, okay, do you want me to help with this? And she goes, no. <laughs> and I go, okay. And so I just do my thing. And when you get to that point where you have good people around you or with you, then you do your thing and I do it well, but I don't do everything. I love that you give them the choice too, right? You lay out the three structures, you explain to them how they work, but then you let them choose which one because that autonomy is so important with motivation. Mm -hmm. I love how that all came together. And working with people where they are, not trying to turn a disciplined person into an accountability person or an accountability person into a responsibility person or something like that. You know, like just taking what you have and making it work because everybody's wired a little differently, Um, but everybody can succeed. They're just going to maybe take a little bit different path. So that's right. Okay. Heather, do you have any other questions? That was really 
That was my last. I mean, I could ask a million more. I know. I know. (laughs) I don't have any off the top of my head. I took a ton of notes. And actually, in my mind, I'm excited for this to come out so I could listen to it again. It was really enlightening. And I took away some great ideas. So thank you. Thank you so much for being with us, Phil. So let me ask you this. How would our audience reach you if they were interested in buying the book, The Sea Captain Way, or engaging with you and your team? And we'll put those details in the show notes as well. Yeah. So Sea Captain Way is the book, Sea Captain Way for Financial Advisors on Amazon. Mm -hmm. You can also go to our website, seacaptaincoaching.com. We're also um, on social media, Sea Captain Coaching. Um, so there's a lot of different ways you you can go directly to me, Phil, Phil at Sea Captain Coaching, if if you want to connect with me there. Um, okay. But anything anything Sea Captain way, and and no, I'm not a boat owner. I didn't know that. <laughs> I assumed no. maybe you must obviously have a passion for them or for being on the water anyway. Well, I live close to the water. We live in Newport, Rhode Island in Sarasota, Florida. So I am there. I have owned a boat once, but I have friends with boats. And that's part of my prospecting. That's the way to do it, actually. That's a much better approach. (laughs) Cost less, (laughs) less maintenance. Right? Yeah, Yeah, smart. Exactly. Love it. All right. Anything else you would add, Phil? Otherwise, we were just thrilled to have you with us today. I can't wait for people to hear this. No, that's great. Thank you, guys. You know how much I respect the work that you do and how you do it. And you're a great compliment to the work we do at Sea Captain. And keep sending us rock stars uh, after you get done with them, okay? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Will do. Thanks, Phil. Alrighty. Thanks, Phil. You bet. Thanks for joining us today for Activity Coaching Conversations with Heather and Sabina. If you found value in this conversation, please like, share, and leave a review in your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about our activity coaching clinics and how to hone your skills, visit heatherpriceconsulting.com. Link is in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. Keep learning and growing.